Welcome to the Altruistic Traveller podcast, interviews with influential changemakers from around the world. That recycling is no longer sufficient to, to deal with these. That type of volunteering actually is proving to be more harmful. Trying to elevate poverty. I mean, they didn't see me that way. They see me as a human being, someone who needs help. Be inspired, educated and moved by global initiatives making this world a better place. For more stories and resources, please visit thealtruistictraveler.com. Hi guys, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are heading to the ocean and talking about sea turtles. I have my guest Usman here who is actually in Karachi in Pakistan at the moment. Hi Usman. Hi Bianca. So nice to have you on the show. I'm just reading through your bio here and it's very impressive. You're an environmentalist, you work in solar energy, you've done solar energy installations in rural areas of Pakistan, and now you are a volunteer for the Oliver Ridley Project, uh, helping to remove ghost gear from the oceans that are affecting the turtles over there. So pretty impressive bio uh, i would like to update the bio a little bit uh, it's uh, i w- used to be a volunteer about 2 years ago uh, but now i am uh, a permanent uh, staff member on the project coordinator for pakistan for the oliver ridley project that's right yes well tell us about the oliver ridley project uh, the oliver ridley project is uh, based out in the indian ocean and we have centers in the Maldives, in Kenya, in Oman, uh, in Sri Lanka, and a few other uh, locations all over the Indian Ocean. And uh, one of the main uh, aims of Olive Ridley Project is to uh, remove and reduce uh, ghost care in the marine environment. And uh, we are, we do that either onshore or offshore uh, recoveries. Uh, and also, we get a lot of uh, animals which are entangled in ghost care, and uh, the the most uh, anim- uh, the most uh, affected animal are olive ridley turtles. Hence, the name of is Olive Ridley Project. Uh, these olive ridley turtles are smaller in size; they're about one feet, uh, one and a half feet long, and these are the ones who are entangled in ghost care the most. And what ocean are you working in at the moment where the Oliver Ridley turtle is threatened? Uh, we are working in the Indian Ocean. Uh, so, I mean, the Indian Ocean is vast. Uh, it spans from Africa all the way to Indonesia. However, we are working uh, in the certain locations like uh, we're working from Pakistan, we're from Oman, we're working from Kenya, we're working in the Maldives. So, these are some of the few locations where we are active. Right. And... So, could you explain to us about ghost gear? What is ghost gear and how is it affecting the turtle population there? Ghost gear re- refers to in, uh, the nets which have been lost, abandoned or discarded in the ocean, either intentionally or unten- unintentionally by fishing vessels and uh, fishers. Uh, what uh, happens when they are discarded in the ocean is uh, these nets keep floating around and they keep passively catching marine animals. So they could be fish, they could be crustaceans, they could be mollusks, they could be reptiles, amphibians. Uh, 
and uh, once uh, an animal is caught, uh, since an ocean is uh, filled with other uh, with predators and prey, so the predators of that animal will try to approach the net for uh, for dinner, and then that animal will also be caught. So once an animal is caught in a net, uh, it's they are they either escaped very uh, injured. Uh, or uh, they don't escape at all and they die in those nets. So once uh, the net, once the animal is removed from the net, either uh, through death or escape, then the net again starts fishing passively. The only way to remove these nets is by human intervention, which is what we do. Right. And so what does a typical day as the project coordinator for an organization which is helping to remove ghost gear or ghost nets from the ocean. What's a typical day look like in your life? Uh, a typical day uh, is, uh, I would like to bifurcate in two activities. One is the actual recovery. So we work with a lot of fishing communities and they would uh, let us know if a net has been lost out in the ocean or has been reported on one of the beaches. So our team will go and uh, if it's onshore, then uh, the team will go and collect the net uh, from the beaches. But if it's offshore, then there's a huge scuba diving involved, which is a little more complicated since it depends on the time uh, of the year and uh, ocean current and visibility. However, uh, these are the two modes we are employing to remove nets from the ocean environment in Pakistan. Uh, the other part is the boring part of being the project coordinator. It involves fulfilling a lot of applications and paperwork and the boring part, which I like to call. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it is, it's got nothing exciting to it. So that, unfortunately, the, tip, the, the filling, the boring part takes more of my time than the actual recovery part. But, I mean, it seems like you have um, a lot of knowledge about ghost gear um, and the your technical expertise. What what kind of knowledge do you bring to this role, and how have you felt that it's helped to reduce the impact of ghost gear, specifically in Pakistan? Once ghost gear is removed, uh, you need to do something with it. You cannot just leave it out on the beach or in the ocean. Otherwise, it'll enter back where it came from. So uh, my expertise, since I've grown up in Karachi and uh, I'm quite uh, active here in a lot of uh, different areas, uh, I play a lot of sports and I know a lot of people too. So my expertise comes in collaborating with other organizations, uh, which can actively do something with Ghost Care. For example, we had a few uh, designers who are working with us and they are embedding ghost care in their uh, in their clothing designs. Some art students uh, help make bracelets and necklaces out of them. An animal shelter uh, who I, uh, whose people I know quite well uh, helped us make donkey harnesses and dog leashes out of them. And uh, in this morning I spoke to a person who has a small horse farm and he wants to make horse ropes out of ghost care. So my expertise lies in collaborating with a lot of organizations and finding out how we can utilize ghost care so it doesn't end up back in the ocean. Wow, that's incredible. And so I'm interested in the previous comment, you mentioned that the fishermen will notify you that there has been a net drop. Is there a a lot of onus on fishermen to correctly discard of the ghost gear or is it still 
an issue where fishermen are the ones that are contributing to this problem knowingly? Uh, fishermen, uh, I think it would be unfair for me to say that the fishermen uh, do it intentionally. Usually when a net is discarded or lost, it is the last option for the fishers to do something like that. Since uh, nets are expensive and, and they would not like to lose an asset. So usually uh, when a net is caught in the seabed or on a reef and the boat is being... Uh, the boat is not uh, able to uh, escape. However, those are the only times when the net is discarded by the fishermen that I work with. However, uh, once in the ocean, a, a net discarded in Kenya could find its way all the way to Maldives just by ocean currents. When a net is in the open ocean, ocean currents can carry it for thousands of kilometers. Uh, it could originate in some other part of the ocean and it could be affecting a different part of the ocean. Wow. And um, how large is a sea net usually? A sea, a sea net is, uh, is, quite, uh, is quite large. I mean, uh, the, the trawler nets can reach up to about 50 square meters. Uh, but, but smaller nets, which, uh, which artisan fishers use, they would be about 15 to 20 square meters in size. It also depends what kind of brand they're using to make the net and what type of marine animals they're uh, we're talking about the impact of ghost gear. Given that you have the threats not only coming from your own area of ocean, these can also be coming through currents and from other areas of the ocean. What are some of the hazard reduction initiatives that help to reduce the impact of ghost gear in the water? The best tool at our disposal is educating the fishers on how the nets are harming the environment. They are out in the ocean so they can see the, the amount and the quality of fish decreasing. And ghost scare is one of the causes of that, not the only cause. So uh, we usually hold a few, we hold a few educational workshops to educate the fishers of how, uh, of why it is, uh, it is imperative that ghost gear is taken care of. And do you know how much ghost gear is currently in the oceans? It is estimated that about 650,000 tons of ghost gear is lost in the global ocean every year. Oh my goodness. Uh, yes, it is quite a big problem. And so the Oliver Ridley project seems like it would have a lot of work on its hands then. Uh, yes, like like I mentioned, uh, uh, the Olive Ridley project in different parts of the ocean uh, have a di- have a slight different expertise depending on the people they have on board. So in Maldives, we have a lot of vets, so uh, there's a lot of operations going on there on turtles uh, which have been uh, injured uh, fighting coast gear. And in Pakistan, since uh, I'm, uh, it's more on recovery and. Uh, usage of the gear in other ways. That's, it's, a, it's a little different uh, in different areas, but our main goal is... Do you have a large population of Oliver Ridley turtles there in Karachi? Oh, we don't have a large population of Oliver Ridley turtles here, but we do have a very large population of green turtles, which come and lay eggs uh, in, the, in the winter season. So from October onwards, uh, we, uh, in Karachi, we get about... There's a there's a beach which is about four kilometers long. Uh, there are about two thousand or so active turtle green green turtle nests on that on that beach. Uh, these turtles come uh, and lay their eggs there, and uh, the turtles hatch. So green turtles are 
very active in this area. Olive Ridley and other types of turtles are not so much active here. And what is the the condition like in the oceans there for the turtles, um, especially on that beach that you were saying where they lay their eggs? Do they have other threats like pollution and things like that? Yes, uh, uh, littering is a big problem uh, on those beaches. You, even if you don't see the litter, uh, even if the litter is uh, dumped in another area, the ocean currents can bring that litter up on the beach. So uh, when when the turtles hatch, uh, uh, the hatchlings have to not only go through obstacles of sand, they also have obstacles like plastic and paper cups to navigate through. Plus on top of that, uh, the hatchlings have a problem of other predatory birds and dogs in that area. So they, so the, the, the littering and the pollution makes it an even harder task for the little hatchlings to make their way to the ocean. And how is that affecting the populations? Do you know? Uh, there have been, been uh, a study on how the population has been affected. However, uh, the total population in the area is quite healthy. Uh, but we can't take that for granted since, uh, the, since we only see green turtles coming up here to lay eggs and not any other type of turtle. True. And um, is Pac- how is Pakistan at the moment with uh, single-use plastics? Have they, the government been putting in or local communities been putting in any initiatives to reduce the use of single-use plastics? Uh, this month, Pakistan has suddenly cramped down on single-use plastic. Uh, the single-use plastic bags have been banned in the province of Sindh and in other provinces. Uh, this just uh, this was just announced this month, and uh, the implementation implementation has been quite severe. Oh, I read in the paper today that there were some areas where the government workers came and they confiscated people who are using uh, polythene plastic bags, single-use ones. So suddenly the Pakistan government has climbed down single-use plastic bags. Oh, that's such good news. I'm so glad to hear that. It's, it's, it's great news. Yeah, and how does that make you feel? Well, it's one less problem to worry about. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, how I feel. Yeah. However, there, there is still a lot of uh, single-use plastic in polluting the environment, and uh, that, helps, that has also needs to be removed. And so, I mean, tell me a little bit about what drove you to want to work on a project like this. Uh, two two years ago, the person who was the project coordinator, he's a friend of mine, and he uh, was resigning due to health concerns. Uh, he he said I could I can't uh, do this role since it's a very demanding role as you have as you can uh, imagine. And so uh, he approached me uh, if I wanted to if I wanted to take over this role. And I have always been interested in the marine environment. I think it's fascinating uh, being on the ocean. I love surfing and swimming in the sea and diving and everything. So it was just a natural fit, I think, for me. Uh, just coming out and working on the, on the beach. Uh, I don't think uh, there's anything better than spending a day at the beach. And now I get to do that uh, and get paid for it. That's true. I was at the beach today and I just was sitting there watching the waves, just almost mesmerized. I think once you have a love for the ocean, that love never really goes away, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's just uh, it's such a natural fit. Uh, I was swimming in the ocean last weekend, and I I was swimming quite far. Uh, I was trying, I was preparing for an uh, Ironman seventy point three swim these days. So I was swimming far in the ocean, and I just I was just so uh, comfortable in the ocean environment. 
most of the fishers now call me a fisher as well because they're like you spend so much time with us on the boats and, uh, and on the beach <laughs> that you that you that you know about the ocean as much as we do tell me about the fishing community there is it a very uh important livelihood for them are they engaging in sustainable fishing what what's it like over there uh, the fishing community in Karachi is is a very uh, different type of community because these fishing uh, villages have been around for uh, even longer than Karachi has been. So uh, these fishing villages have been around for about maybe 200 years. Uh, and then the city started growing and it engulfed all these villages. So these villages are quite old and they're quite proud of their culture. However, Compared to city dwellers, the, uh, these fishers are not so well off in terms of their uh, economic condition. So uh, these fishers uh, lack uh, knowledge uh, in a lot of ways in education. However, uh, since uh, the since climate change has taken effect and they can see uh, that the, the their catch the number of the catch are reducing and uh, the size of the fish are reducing, they are employing. Uh, Sustainable fishing methods, uh, as you would expect, they don't fish uh, during the breeding season of most fish, which is about in, in the summer months over here. And they do let the fish grow before they can go out to sea. So they understand that uh, they need to give you know fish stocks and fisheries time to to replenish themselves before they can fish. However, there are a lot of industry fishers around, which are quite different to the artisanal fishers. Uh, the industry fishers they need to be running their fisheries all year round to to make uh, the business work. So the artisan fishers are much more in tune uh, rather than the industrials. Right. And I suppose it would be a good time to bring up the effects of climate change, given that, you know, today uh, Greta made that speech at the UN Climate Summit, and I feel like climate change is a very hot topic at the moment. How have you found that climate change has affected areas like Karachi and then in turn, I guess, affected the marine life there? Uh, so uh, so first I'll start with Karachi. Uh, Karachi has seen some very, very hot summers in the past four or five years. The cell, uh, we, have, we have heat waves during the summer months. And since it's, a, it's an urban, uh, so it's an urban, very uh, big urban city, so there is a lot of heat island effect. So uh, we have a lot of roads, we have a lot of concrete, and not so much trees since it's a semi-arid area. Uh, and in industries and commercialization has reduced the natural environment even more. So the uh, the summer in Karachi is getting harsher and harsher. During the daytime, we can see temperatures go up to 40, 42 degrees, uh, and uh, the feel uh, feel is even more since everything is concrete and asphalt. Uh, so this is this is a, a big thing with changing Karachi. The rainfall is also reduced. I remember when I was younger, we used to get a, uh, we used to get a good tail end of the monsoon here for about two three weeks. I'm not gonna comment on the city drainage system uh, since mm-hmm. that is a good indicator of uh, how much rain we got. Uh, we uh, regularly yearly we got our street was always flooded. Uh, now, however, our street was started this year as well, but that it wasn't a norm. So rains have reduced in, uh, in Karachi, and the heat has gone up in the past four or five years. Uh, as regarding the marine environment, uh, the amount of fish and uh, the size of fish has reduced uh, due to the warming of the of the oceans. Uh, the fishers uh, report that they used to catch uh, lobsters. Uh, we used to catch a good boat full of lobsters 
uh, in about half a day's work. Now, even if they go to sleep for uh, to for about two three days, they don't uh, they catch about maybe ten to twelve individual lobsters. So the amount of marine life is reducing, and the size of it is too. So uh, fish are getting smaller and less uh, in Karachi marine. Okay, I think it's important to highlight these things because you know it's easy for somebody who's sleeping in a nice house on a comfortable pillow with access to clean drinking water and who isn't on the front line of the effects of climate change to really sit back and say this isn't real but when we look at people such as fishermen in that community or in places like the Maldives where coral bleaching has basically had a huge effects on the oceans over there I just think that there is so much more to consider and so many other people that are being affected by climate change just because you can't see it or it's not affecting you it doesn't mean that it's not affecting somebody else and I feel like you know as human beings we have an obligation to stand up for each other and for the planet and to speak about the things that are going on in other parts of the world because at the end of the day like we're all connected i mean it's really good to just kind of learn about how um, climate change is affecting you guys over there and you know just put some perspective and, and realize that we all have a role to play so but um you you just got us to do a ted talk that's exciting uh, yes, uh, I have a TEDx uh, talk uh, in on 13th October on about ghost care and the health of the marine ocean, uh, marine environment. But it's very interesting that you mentioned that uh, the connection uh, sooner or later, even if you're sitting in your air-conditioned room and not interacting with anyone, uh, climate change is going to affect you. As humans, we tend to think ourselves as not part of the ecosystem. However, we are very much part of an ecosystem. Even if something is going wrong in the oceans, it will come to affect us. Uh, I'll give you an example. There's so much plastic in the oceans. And when, for example, fish or a fish consume plastic, uh, then part of that fish is going to be made of plastic. And if that fish makes it to your dinner plate, then you're going to be consuming plastic and plastic is going to be part of you. And even if you don't eat fish, uh, there are a lot of other products that are made by fish, like, you know, chicken feed is made from fish, uh, fish stocks are used in fertilizers as well. So plastic is going to find its way to you. Same with the with the weather and the climate patterns. Uh, you may think that you are safe uh, since if you're living in land and if you work, uh, you know, you don't work out in, in the fields, but it will come to affect you one way or the other, especially in your ocean environment since it's out of sight and out of mind and most, most humans don't understand how the seas work and what's going on, what's, uh, what's their condition. So we tend to forget about them a bit, but uh, if you don't take care of the oceans, uh, you have to realize that they, su- they supply a lot of uh, the things we utilize, like oxygen, for example. 50% of the oxygen that we breathe is going from the oceans. So a healthy ocean will lead to a healthy planet. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think like we really all have such a role to play. And, you know, on that note, I mean, how can um, anyone who's listening at the moment support the Oliver Ridley Project or support the work that you do? 
support uh, supporting in the olive ridley project you can uh, go to our website uh, it's oliveridleyproject.org and uh, there are a number of ways to support uh, you can uh, sponsor a turtle you can sponsor uh, you can, uh, sponsor turtles health of how uh, how we take care of it. Uh, turtles why turtles because turtles are a very important part of the of the ecosystem uh, they tend to balance keep things a lot of things in balance so if someone likes turtles and likes our cause they can go to our website and and support it on a personal note if someone wants to uh, make sure that uh, these global problems are uh, tackled then there is no better way to start than your own house uh, look around you and see what you can reduce and what to Told me like single use plastic, uh, and uh, if you can reach out and uh, raise awareness or uh, make some noise or tweet about something uh, relating uh, to a uh, to a cause that uh, you believe in, then that is also a very good start. Okay, and seeing as it's been a pretty dull week with all this news coming out about climate change, can you? Just tell us like uh, a little good news story or did you save a turtle this week? Well, I didn't save a turtle this week, but someone in my team did, in the Maldives team, and they shared pictures uh, with me. So if you if you go and follow our uh, Instagram or our Facebook page, you, you will get these updates uh, about saving turtles. And there are some, uh, some good news coming uh, regarding the climate, like the ozone layer is healing itself, which is a big big news so nobody thought that it was could heal itself so fast but it is so there are some positive stories of uh, of uh, you know against climate change as well and pakistan banned single-use plastics that's a good one that, that's a great news uh and not just banned implementing implementing the ban as well usually the politicians just go and ban something but no one implements it however this time the, the implementation is quite strong as the ban well, I think that the work that the Oliver Ridley Project is doing is wonderful and it's been so nice to connect with you and learn about your involvement in the organization and we wish you the best of luck for your TED Talk. When when will we be able to watch that? Uh, I think they release it after 10 days after the talk, so I shall be in touch and whenever it's up, I will share the link with you. Okay. Well, for all of our listeners, if you want to find more about the Oliver Ridley Project or Adopt a Turtle, um, even volunteer, you can visit OliverRidleyProject.org. Um, thank you so much, Usman, for coming on the show. It's been really great to learn about what thank you guys do. Thank you for inviting do. me. I'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into that episode. I hope you found out something interesting about the plight of the turtle. And don't forget, if you want to find out more information, you can visit OliverRidleyProject.org. Um, I'll be publishing Usman's TED Talk when it's available, uh, so you'll be able to access that as well. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do leave me a review on whatever platform you're listening on uh, it helps to share these stories with a wider audience next week i've got visual storyteller jonathan lee on the show we're going to be talking about the importance of storytelling in social impact and how you can use visual storytelling to spread knowledge and build connections that will ultimately lead to 
positive growth and impact on the planet and people. Uh, so a bit of a different one next week, but really looking at and delving into Jonathan's history, videoing stories from around the world and on the front line. So stay tuned in for that. I hope that you are having a wonderful day wherever you are in the world and I will talk to you soon.